Blog Talk Radio. everybody as always we'd like to give you all a warm warm welcome to today's show i'm your host of course faith and you are hanging out with us live on today's show with our special guest emma lightellers all right now everybody get comfortable get cozy this is your cue to go grab your water your juices your wines your beers whatever floats your boat smoothies tea everything works go ahead and do that right now but remember to come back in a minute or two um, and join us in yet another discussion on FGM, also known as female genital mutilation. Um, some of you may refer to it as female circumcision. So that's today and more with Emma Light Tollers, who is the communications manager at 28 Too Many, and she will be joining us today. So for those of you who are new to her story too or to Blog Talk Radio, I'm going to go ahead and give you those those directions, wonderful directions, let you know how to get around this place. As you know, we are definitely looking forward to taking your calls as always. We'd love to hear from you as well. So I'll go ahead and give you the calling number, which is 515-602-9735. That is the number to call. Remember, if you're calling from outside the U.S., you will need to dial the country code and then dial 515-602-9735, and that will get you right in. All right, everybody, welcome, welcome to all our guests, all our listeners, all our social media, family and friends. I want to give you a big, big hello and give you a warm, warm welcome to today's show. But before we get into today's share, I'm going to go ahead and give our shout outs because we have to thank our international listeners from across the world. And we're going to start by thanking all our listeners here in Scandinavia, in Denmark, and um, we want to give a big thank, thank you to our listeners in Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and Finland. Thank you so much for your support. And we're also going to give a big thank you to all of our other European listeners in France, in Greece, in Italy. Who else do I see over here? In um, Russia. And, of course, in Switzerland. And, yes, Emma is one of you all. So you have one of your own today hanging out with us. Um, yeah, Germany and Spain as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We absolutely love you all. Now we're going to go to Africa, to the continent of Africa, and give a big shout out to all our listeners in Kenya, Habarigani, Karibukiti, and our listeners in Uganda, in Gambia, in Nigeria, in Sierra Leone, in Mali, Cote d'Ivoire, and Ivory Coast. 
Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And finally, we want to give um, a big shout-out to our listeners in Asia, in India, Cambodia, Indonesia, and the Philippines. And, of course, last but not least, we want to give a big shout-out to all of our listeners in the U.K. and the U.S. who show us mud, 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 love. And, of course, Canada and Mexico. Okay, everybody, I hope I didn't leave anybody out, but today we are in for a treat. You know, buckle up. We have Anna Lightowers with us today, and I think I have her here. Okay, bear with me. I'm going to bring her in in a minute. Hi, Emma. How are you? Hi, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me on the show today. You're welcome. You're welcome. The honor is ours. An absolute pleasure and an honor having you on the show. Please, everybody, let us know if you can hear Emma. Uh, give us, give me a thumbs up, or you know, you'll can turn me, you know, one of your love bits, so that we know that you can hear Emma. Um, today we're going to be talking about FGM. Emma is the communications manager at 28 Too Many, for those of you joining us. She has a background in communication and research and over 20 years of experience in a number of different sectors, including education and refugees. What a profile, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and you are working um, in the area of FGM, you know, quite a sensitive topic. Um, you know, it involves so many different areas, you know, and um, I was just thinking, when did you first hear about FGM and what was your reaction? Mm-hmm. 
And, and you have some campaigns that you're working on. I read a little bit about that, but I don't want to go into it. Maybe you you know, you could just touch on those a little bit. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we do, we do, we produce research reports every year, country profile reports, and we've done our 13th recently on Eritrea. Mm-hmm. And the research is the main part of our work. It's all available, free to download from our website, everything's on there. We also produce thematic reports, such as medicalization of FGM. Um, but the other big thing we do is social media, and that's working with campaigners, working with other organizations, activists, and we put out social media campaigns, we highlight the work that they are doing, and we support them as much as we can in that. So we quite often hold Twitter chats, and the last one we did was on harmful traditional practices, and for next year we've got a whole load more lined up, at least six more Twitter chats next year, and we always work with campaigners from different countries. So the last one we had someone from Eritrea, someone from Kenya, and someone from Nigeria on the panel. Mm-hmm. And this is a great experience. It gets so many different people involved and experts on the subject, so you can learn a lot from doing them. Yeah, you know, I find that, you know, the practice of FGM or, you know, female circumcision is really a manifestation of very, 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 very deeply entrenched gender equality because when I look at the physical, psychological, sexual, even maternal, you know, implications that affect these women, I think it's just immense. And um, as you were talking, I was thinking, um, when you're working in this field, um, is it difficult for families to abandon this practice with, with all the challenges that, you know, that the women have to go through? But on the flip side, and knowing on the flip side that this is a culture that they cherish and they honor and they have so much respect for and value for, is it difficult you know, for these families or these communities to abandon this practice? Yeah, absolutely. And this is, this is one of the problems. There's not one solution to ending FGM. Different communities do it for different reasons, they do it for different ages, and it's about tackling all of these different issues. It's done for family honor, it's done, sometimes it's done because a girl is more valuable to be sold up for marriage. Um, Some people do it because they think it's a religious need, but it isn't. There's no religion that states that FGM is necessary, but there's always different reasons, and behind it all, as you say, is this gender inequality. And so it's it's not just tackling ending FGM, it's also addressing all the social issues that lead to it. So empowering women, um, education for girls particularly important. And this is what makes it so complicated. And what works in one area, one country, one village, might not work in another one because the reasons for doing it are different. But behind it all, as you say, is this gender inequality. Yeah, and as you were talking, I was thinking, because, you know, maybe some of our listeners might not know why FGM is actually performed, because somebody actually put uh, put it in the chat that, you know, why is it performed if it's so terrible, you know? I'm just putting direct, you know, direct speech, like I wrote it. But maybe you can touch on some of the reasons why FGM is performed. Yeah, in some cultures, it's seen as a right of passage adulthood, so it might take place when a girl is 11, 12, 13, and it's a sign that she has become a woman. Unfortunately, this also means that she's probably ready to be married off as well, so we have forced early marriage in there, then we get early pregnancy, which is very dangerous for both the girl and the child. Um, 
other reasons it takes place, people think it's religious. This is this is a very strong one, and it's being addressed by religious leaders that they are out there and saying no, this is not religious. It does not form any part of any religion. Um, but a lot of people still think that, so it's getting that message across and educating people. And education is so important. There's been a focus in the past on the health benefits or benefits of not doing it. Um, that has worked to some extent, but just addressing it as a health issue means that it has caused more medicalization because people think, oh, it's dangerous to do it in the village with 15 knives. We'll go to the doctor and have it done. Uh-huh. So it's still continuing, but it's not addressing the fact that it's actually a human rights issue. It should not be done. There's, there's no reason to. It's abuse. It's child abuse. It's been recognised as that. So it's you know you address one thing and then another thing comes along and it is lots of different reasons for doing it. But tradition is often quoted, and unfortunately, it is money making for some people village elders quite often will get a share of the money made from it. For families, a girl who's been cut might be worth more when she falls off for marriage. And this is a campaign that we did during 16 days of activism called the Price of FGM. Mm-hmm. We looked at these reasons, you know, who pays the real price? People are making money, doctors are making money. There may be low-paid doctors in countries such as Egypt, where it is very high medicalization rates. They're supplementing their wages, so do we need to address poverty at that level? In villages, it's, again, is it a poverty thing? People are making money, and the cutters themselves have a high standing in the community, and they make enough money to educate their children. So it's there is an economic side to it, and this is something that's been addressed in quite a few articles recently as well. Yeah, because I think. I think this is a very, I mean, it's quite complex if you think of the, you know, you've talked about the, you know, the social economic factors, you know, um, we know that there's also the prerequisite for marriage and then the religious reasons for it, the hygiene reasons, sociological, and all these other reasons you've talked about, which I think to me, when I start to reflect on what you've just been saying, it seems quite complex. And um, my background is I have worked with human trafficking, and in that background, we usually use the three P's approach, um, the prevention, protection, and persecution. But I've I've read a few articles where this is also applicable in FGM. Um, Maybe, I don't know, do you apply this approach? And, you know, if you do, maybe you can touch on you know, how, how you apply it and how somebody who is working in this field can maybe, you know, learn or get some best practices from you and your team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, those three Ts are definitely relevant to FGM. Um, in the UK, we, we've seen a lot of work on the prevention side of things, and people don't always understand that prevention is much better than prosecuting afterwards. You know, we don't want girls to be cut. We want to stop it before it gets to that point. And sometimes there's criticism of the work being done because people don't understand that. We're not trying to catch people who've already gone through it and prosecute their parents or whoever. We're trying to stop that actually happening in the first place, and that is really important. Um, And to protect girls as well. So, yeah, sometimes it means taking girls away from their homes and um, this is something in Tanzania, there's a project where there's mm-hmm. a safe house where girls can go to if they're scared of FGM, if they're under threat of it, they can go to the safe house that has been set up where they will be protected 
and then the parents will be talked to and, and explain why their daughter should not go through it. And at some point, the girl will be reunited with her family. But that's the protection that it's, it's the girls who are at risk. Either they're rescued, by, usually by other family men, members, or they themselves can go to places like that. Mm-hmm. And all countries do have helplines that you can ring. Um, I can't think of one at the moment. I know Kenya has one. If you, if you are at risk yourself or you know of someone at risk, you can ring the helpline and people will help you. I mean, that is the thing. There is support out there. Even in countries where there's high prevalence, there are support networks for girls. Yeah. And then we've got prosecution. And that, that is also an important part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Many of the countries do have laws against FGM, mm-hmm. or it's covered in other laws against violence, but quite often they're not implemented, people are not prosecuted, and we are actually working on a major project at the moment with trust law, and we have lawyers all over the world working for us for free, very kindly donated a lot of time to this, and we're putting together reports on what laws are in place, but also how are they being implemented, are people being prosecuted, and are they being successful? Yeah, and these laws, because, you know, when you say, you know, laws, and I'm, at the minute you said laws, I was thinking, okay, we have Africa, we have in the U.K., we have in the U.S., which, you know, yesterday we had a show with um, a really amazing woman in the U.S. who's also fighting, um, you know, FGM in the U.S., and we talked a little bit about the laws in the U.S. So I'm just thinking, how would this work on a global scale? Are, are the international laws been implemented? How does it work? There are, there are many international laws and treaties that most countries have signed up to, mm-hmm. Violence Against Women laws, which also cover this, but at least 23 African countries actually have FGM laws in place. Um, the problem sometimes, and this is something that's coming out of our work right now, is that laws set at national level perhaps are not filtering down to local level. Maybe they're written in the national language, but at local level people don't speak the national language. So there's all sorts of problems with enforcing it. Um, last year we published a report on Nigeria, and the one thing we picked up on was that the laws are there, but they're not being implemented at county level. And since we brought this up, subject up, we're happy to say that a lot of it is now happening. It is being implemented, but it still needs to be enforced. Um, it is a struggle. The problem with laws alone is it can push it underground. People might go off and do it in secret. They might cross borders to do it in a country where the laws are not so strict. So it's, a law on its own is not going to stop FGM. But a law combined with education, combined with community programs and all these other things, that is what is going to end FGM. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I see this as, um, as a practice that is sensitive to culture and traditions, you know, of the communities that practice it. And laws may be good, but again, I always think it's people who have to respect the law. They have to acknowledge the law, understand the law, and respect it. Otherwise, I just see like, you know, they might protect, you know, the victim, you know, because they don't see that person as a victim, you know? Yeah. How, how what made um, the, the situation in Nigeria change? What was that Thing, that move, that shift, that, you know, made this turnaround? Um, I think 
we work closely when we produce our reports on Nigeria. We work closely with organisations there, such as the Society for the Improvement of Rural People, with Chai, and some other organisations. And we've also worked closely with the Guardian newspaper. Mm-hmm. And through that, there was a lot of publicity about the fact that these laws existed, but they weren't being implemented. And it gave the our research was the evidence that the activists needed to go and say, "Hey, look." What's the point of having a law? You're not enforcing it in the counties. We have to do something. And it started off a motion where there's been a lot of work done now. Um, the UNFPA UNICEF program there has also been pushing to get these laws implemented. And it's good to see that all of these activist organizations are working together. And that is key. And it's also involving the police, involving the courts, involving the social services. Everybody has to work together and pull together on it. Yeah, I mean, you, you in the beginning of the show, you, you mentioned that most of your work is centered around research. Um, so I don't know whether this question will be something, you know, you want to answer, but I think I'll just share it with you. It's a question from Christina. Vigate Christina, Hetzlich Willkommen. Um, Christina is asking, um, what are some of the, I think she's asking from a more emotional side, what are some of the moving experiences that some women and girls have shared with you? Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> I know because you know you're you be talking about law and you know, but, but but you know, Christina, that's how Christina does the Christina fair session. <laughs> no, I mean, moving it, it's moving it, it's tragic story. That's what you hear, but it's it's moving when you hear that there's been a good end to a story. Um, and even our one of our trustees, Hodder. She, her, her own story is horrendous. Um, she, when her period started, menstruation started, there was nowhere for the blood to come out. So her parents took her to hospital. They thought there was a tumor, and they found out it was because of SGM. There was not enough space for the blood to actually come out. And this sort of opened this whole thing about it's the long-term impact of SGM. It's not only the suffering when it happens as a child, later in life, menstruation problems, childbirth problems, and you hear about that. And she's an amazing lady doing amazing work, and she's working now in school. She's a, she's a medical person by profession, but she's just changed to safeguarding in schools in the UK. And is just the most amazing, inspirational woman. And when you hear her story, you can't help but be moved by this. Um, and then the story you hear from the activists who've been out into the communities and spoken to the people, and that people have turned around and said, yeah, we're going to change, we're not going to do it anymore, I'm not going to cut my daughter. And when you hear that, you think, yeah, it's hard work sometimes, and some of the things you hear and see really get to you, but you know that there's so many people out there fighting and doing the most amazing things, and every person who's with you on that I've met women who've actually undergone you know this FGM and they're so brave they're they're really true survivors and they speak with so much passion what I admire most about them what I actually think is so amazing and incredible about these women is the way they fight for those who haven't gone through it not to go through it and have to live through what they're living through and I think that in itself is a huge sacrifice you know they almost make it like their life duty their life goal to make sure those young girls don't go through it. 
And I find that so amazing because they have to deal with all this pain, all this physical, whatever, all this, you know, it's a long list, but still they keep pushing on. And for me, that is just so inspiring. Um, Yeah. Because they've they've been through this incredibly traumatic experience. We know that it it can cause psychological damage, and yet they're they're willing to go out there and tell their story. And it must hurt incredibly every time they tell it but they're so determined, and that, that just really shines through. I know you had Alimatu on the show, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago or last week, and she's one of the amazing people fighting to end SGM. Yeah, Alamatu is, and her passion, just it just shines through. And um, we also had um, Fatou Balde, and she also is so passionate about it. These two women are really, uh, they're really amazing, and we had both of them on the show. Um, yeah, big up to Alimatu and Fatou. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're going to do a little bit of a reverse here because I missed this question. When you talked about the medicalization of FGM, somebody actually posed a question that I don't want to miss, and they actually asked, isn't it safer to do it this way than to do it the other way? <laughs> not always. There's been cases of girls who have died while having medicalized FGM. There was a case in Egypt um, where a young girl died, and it, it reduces the risk of infection on the one hand, but it still doesn't address the fact that it shouldn't be done at all. You should not be cutting the girl. Why are you doing it? And medicalizing it does give people the idea that perhaps it's okay to do it. Oh, well, the doctor's doing it. It must be okay. And, but they're missing the whole point that it's, it's never okay to cut a girl. It, it's just wrong. And this, this is the problem with medicalization. On the one hand, it takes away some of the infection risk. The other hand, it's still dangerous, and girls are still dying while undergoing medicalized FGM. But the whole point is, why are people doing it? They should not be doing it at all. Yeah. So, okay, guests, just don't do it, okay? If anybody is trying to give you the ifs or buts, what if, you know, perhaps just tell them stop, okay? There is no no health benefit to the girl or a lot of health damages to the girl. And... There's just no reason why anyone should do it. It is child abuse. You are inflicting pain, possible death, on a child. Yeah. Now, this next question, I don't know whether we're going to take it. You could touch on it, or you could just say, you know, you can plead the fifth. (laughs) And this is from one of our amazing listeners, Jack. Big up to you, Jack. Welcome. You've been on all of our three shows. We absolutely appreciate you and your questions. So Jack asks, what's so different from female circumcision and male circumcision? in any way. 
Yeah, and there's also not just one way of female genital mutilations, right? There's different ways it takes place. Do you want to touch on those just a little bit, like briefly, so they understand their complexities? It's not just one way. There are types of FGM, which creates each with its own level of complexity and difficulty and impact. And there was actually a very good exhibition, uh, I think it was last year, where someone had made up images of different types of FGM. And when you look into it, there are four official types according to the World Health Organization. But actually, there are so many different types because everyone is slightly different. But um, they can range from just a small nick, which people might say, oh, well, what's the harm in that? But even so, you're still inflicting that on a girl. It's still not right. So the most severe form is where quite a lot is cut away and then everything is thrown back up. So Yeah. And sorry, you wanted to say something? Hello? Are you there? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't hear you for a minute. Can you hear me just fine? Yes, yes, you can hear you fine. Okay. Um, hold on. Let me take this question. Um, okay, somebody's talking about FGM and, um, and HIV. Okay. Um, is there a relation between H, um, HIV and FGM? cutting is done in a village situation where hygiene levels maybe are not as good, there is a high risk then of, of HIV if the knives to use are infected. Um, so, yeah, there is a risk. Yeah. Hold on. Okay. I think, hold on, I don't know what I get your question. Um, the question, please rephrase your question. Um, Please rephrase your okay. The the damage the damage to the damage to the sexual organs and sexual intercourse causing HIV. Okay, I don't know. They, maybe they're just touching on maybe the sexual um the yeah, effects absolutely. yeah. It, mm. it affects women's sexual lives, um, depending on the severity Part of working, you know, within in this field. 
of FGM. What is the most challenging thing about this work? I think the challenge is, I think the challenge is for the activists that we work with. Um, for them, when they go out and they spread their messages, they educate people, and then it carries on anyway. And that is heartbreaking. Um, there was, I think it was last because we spoke to the Indian news that police tried to enter a village where they knew a ceremony was going to take place, and they see taken out of the village by men with machetes and swords and knives and things like that. And so much work being going on. But when something like that happens, and we know that those girls are going to get cut, that is incredibly heartbreaking. Yeah. And I have to say, in Kenya, the progress has been immense. And I know I keep saying this, and it's really real. These women, I mean, not because I'm originally from Kenya. I am from Kenya. And I just know the resilience of these women and the risks they take. They're all about this work. Like, they just keep going back. And it has taken time, but the progress is just so incredible. Um, but that's why I think when, when I was asking about the cultures and, you know, you know, we can have laws, but the community has to get it, you know, and buy into the idea and understand um, what do you find is the best way to approach um, let's say a community like this one that is not having it. Yeah. yeah. This, this is where the grassroots activists and organizations are absolutely key. They are the ones who get they know the sector, and these are the ones who should be getting the funding. When there's money being spent on conferences and everything else, that's not going to bring results. The people with the results are these people on the ground who know how to approach it. And the anti FGM board in Kenya has done great work. And going out to the communities, we have activists like Kadia, the same, Pony Morebia, Lynn, and BC, who are out there talking to the people, finding out the reasons, and educating. And education is key, and empowering women and girls so that they have a choice, so that they are able to stand up and say, no, that is also so essential. Yeah, and I think also just talking, because we have so many brave Kenyan women, and I know we just spoke about Kenya, that's what I know, who have actually shared their stories on Fitchina, and women who did not know what this was now know, and they actually know it can be treated. And so you have all these women now who have come out and actually gotten treatment. So I think also just talking about it, you know, helps. Yeah. We have the global campaign which was literally started by the Guardian. And they did some amazing work with media training and how to get the message out. And all the positive stories that it's made. Because when people hear that other communities are actually saying no to SGM, it actually says something to them. And they did some great work with the people on the ground. And the girls' generation as well, who we're partners of, are out there. And we're getting to the communities and just educating, talking to people. Radio and theatre is a great way of getting to people and so many people who don't have, maybe have TV access, but they have radios. And there's just amazing things going on. You see this whole movement and so much enthusiasm and dedication that you feel it will end. It's going to take time, but it will end. Yeah. And um, so this is a very good question. <laughs> Somebody is asking, um, one of our guests, good question. They're asking, so what can we do if we're not based in Africa? Okay, now I just want to say something real quick. FGM is not an African issue, and you can listen to our past shows as well, and you will realize just how 
you know, how broad this problem is. It's a global problem. Um, maybe we're just focusing on the countries like Alimat, actually Alimat, Kuliburinesh, a lot of the data has been carried out in Africa. Um, so maybe we tend to lean back to that. But actually, the, it happens in India, Indonesia, Pakistan, you know, even in the U.S. You know, but touch on this and say, you know, they're asking, what can we do? So, you know, our listeners, you've had where they're based, you know, in the beginning of the show. What can they do wherever they're based? Come and visit our website, www.thhhenny.com, and you'll see information in there about who is doing work in different countries, based on that group, and in every country, there's organizations brought together, and there's ways to support these Yeah, and share your thoughts and ask your questions as well on social media. You know, no question is too smart, too stupid, or whatever. Just ask. You know, because I think the more we know, the more we can make informed decisions, you know. And you never know who is reading your tweet or who is looking at your post. Um, I think we should move away from the idea that people who go through things are just situated in one small place. They're also on social media, and they may get, you know, a tip or two from what you're writing, your comments, your feedback. So, you know, I think, I think we should take what Emma has said and just really get more involved on social media. Um, or whatever platforms you want to use. You all are very creative. <laughs> you know, do your thing. Um, what do you wish um, What do you wish that people knew about FGM? I guess it's this thing about the awareness that it is not just in Africa, that it does happen all over. Um, and knowing just how damaging it is, that it, it's, it's, not, it's not lighthearted. There is no reason for it. And just to know that it's, it has to stop. It is not. It's not a choice. This is something that's happening and harming a lot of people. Uh, the estimated 200 million women who have already undergone it. There was a great campaign um, in Kenya for the 16 days. 200 million is not just a number, and mm-hmm. this has got lots of attention. And every year, there's also estimates that millions more are at risk of it. Three million girls a year are at risk of FGM. So we have to get those numbers down. If we don't address it, it's just going to get more and more. But we are seeing a lot of positive things. We're seeing a lot of the younger generation who are against it. We're seeing from our own research that girls, um, younger girls is a much lower level of prevalence in many countries than the older women. So it, there are signs that it is reducing but we've got to get that down to zero. Reducing is not enough. Zero. <laughs> I like that number. Zero is a magic number. And keyword here is weak. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that is in February. Okay, that's cool. Now, um, Emma, we're slowly going to have to start to wrap it up. 
um, little by little, slowly by slowly. Um, everybody, if you have any last final questions, you know, something we haven't touched on, please share, and we will try to get Emma to address your questions. Um, but in the meantime, Emma, tell us a little bit about your work, what's coming up in 2018, and all that good stuff. Well, we just um, we've been doing the planning actually the last few weeks, and we have so many things coming up. So the big thing for us next year is going to be this law project about FGM laws. But we're also going to do a lot of social media stuff. We have at least six Twitter chats lined up. We're also hoping to do some online training, and this is something new for us. And uh, we've just been talking to the local organisations and activists about what what is it they would need. And we're hoping to develop that over the next few months as well. So quite a lot of things coming up. We're a small team, but we managed to do quite a lot with our time. Yeah, there is that amazing quote, and I know I'm going to really botch this up, but I'm just going to put it, get everyone gets the gist of it. Don't underestimate a small group of people. They can make a huge difference. So big up to all your colleagues in your team who are putting in the work. Um, yeah, anybody can make a difference, and that is the thing, you're right. Any One person can make a difference, because if just talking to one other person raises that awareness of SGM, that could make a difference, because they'll talk to another person, and that effect is just amazing. Anybody yes. can and you don't know who's listening to you or who's getting this information. It just takes one parent, one sister, one mother, one auntie, one person to save that child. Um, yeah, but any last questions, everybody? We've answered about the health. Um, another question? Oh, okay. So this is a question. <laughs> I think we touched on that. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes I'm just like, y'all are too much. Um, they're asking, what are your reactions <laughs> to FGM? <laughs> I don't know what they mean. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep it very general. <laughs> <laughs> My reaction when I first heard about it was at first horror, sadness, and then anger. And when I get angry about something, I have to do something about it. So that's, that's why I'm doing the job I do now. Because <laughs> when something upsets me, I can't just sit back and um, sit quietly. I have to get up and do something. Yeah. And I'm wondering, um, they're really, okay, but maybe this is new. I mean, if you read a little bit about FGM, to all our listeners and all our chatters, you will get your own reaction. And it will be something in the line of maybe tears, sadness, anger. It's just something that will really get you worked up. Um, and, and I hope that reaction will inspire you all to do something. So I'm going to go ahead and thank you, Emma, for being on our show. Um, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. So it's been great talking to you and Thank you to all the people who came in with questions. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to tell them? We have a mix. There are some guys in the chat who are a bit confused <laughs> on how they can get involved. Is there something you want to leave the guys with today, something they can take away? Yeah, there's a big movement of men working to end FGM. So if you want to get involved, you are definitely not alone. Have a look on social media. Put in men end FGM. Um, you'll find there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And if men support ending it, it will happen much faster. Yeah. So we need that support. Yeah. And they asked um, whether they will be allowed to talk about this because it has to do with women, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It has to do with women. But quite often it is men who are 
helping it to continue. Because a lot of men also, having said that, our research shows that in some areas there are more men than women who want it to stop. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, but if men can say, we're up against it, there's the Maasai Cricket Warriors, the male cricket team in Kenya, who are doing amazing stuff. Yeah. Teaching about ending FGM in an area where FGM prevalence is so high. Yeah. So, guys, you know, don't be shy. I know you all don't want to talk about this sensitive, you know, topic, but just open, the, you know, find an icebreaker. So thank you so much, Emma. You're always welcome to come back. It's been a pleasure and an honor having you on the show. Thank you for sharing. And for all of our listeners and our callers, um, we ask you to continue to change the world for the better. Bye-bye. I'll be a better man today. I'll be a better man today.